Uh, my joy to be with you. Just uh, some cliff notes on me. So I'm married to Tia for 12 years. So she's actually at our church today. Uh, we have three rugrats, uh, Madison, Avery, and Elijah, and uh, they're with her. Um, we've been in Madison for just uh, a little over six years, this church plant as well. As you heard, we we're about the same age as you guys, which is fun. Um, it's exciting to see you know another church plant in the area uh, doing well, which is great. Um, I grew up in the Wassa area, and I became a Christian in college. Before that, I was uh, like kind of your typical drunk party type kid, and uh, got invited to a Bible study and heard about God's love through Jesus and met like genuine Christians. But before that time, like I didn't know that people actually like really believed this stuff, and uh, I was incredibly attracted by Christian love. And so through that, I became a, a believer. Um, uh, shortly after that, my wife and I started dating. Uh, we ended up going to finding a church, a Baptist church in the Green Bay area, which happened to be uh, part of um, the Southern Baptist Convention, which I know you guys are as well. And then from there, I became an associate pastor. From associate pastor there, I went down to Southern Seminary, which is where Mike is doing his degree. And then from there, um, up here. Okay, so our church is, uh, as mentioned, really young, just like you guys, and we're really young in age. So I'm like one of the oldest people in our church. I'm 37. So we have a lot of Young believers, new believers, a lot with um, kind of the first church. So it's good to be with you guys today. So this past summer, our church gave uh, my family and I just a little bit of a sabbatical, which was really kind. It's a time for us to kind of rest, uh, recharge, also time to reflect a bit. So when I got back, as you can imagine, our church kind of wanted to hear how things went. Right? They wanted to hear how the Lord used the time in our life to bring rest to us. And uh, the question that was asked, uh, asked many different times, a great question, involving like, kind of like, you know, what did I learn, you know, as I was on break? You know, during that time, I did a, a lot of reading, a lot of praying, as I mentioned, did a lot of reflecting. So that mind, when I got back, you know, church, like, so, like, Aaron, like, so what'd you learn? And so that's a question. Let me share just two stories uh, while I was away, and to kind of help, uh, the Lord is kind of using those stories in some scriptures to kind of help teach me, I think. So first... It was at the beginning of my time away, and our family took a trip to South Dakota. You'll see Mount Rushmore, uh, the Badlands, Custer State Park, and all that stuff. And it was a great trip, uh, but a trip that spent a lot of time in the car. And so somewhere fairly on, uh, early on along the route, my wife and I, T and I, were up front talking, and then I began to hear our kids get a little more involved in a conversation in the back of our van. So I'm not really sure what triggered this conversation, but T and I like, stopped our conversation to listen into their conversation. And what I heard was our younger two, uh, Avery and Elijah, tell our older child, Madison, yes, Madison, someday dad is going to die. Not mom. (laughs) They were not talking about mom dying. Dear old dad. Someday dear old dad was going to die. So that was like right at the very beginning of our trip, kind of right from go. This conversation, you know, run through my head. Yeah, someday dad is going to die. That's story one. Story two comes from when we were camping. So after we got back from South Dakota, my mom still has a camper in the Wasser area on a really small, pretty little lake, central Wisconsin. And so uh, we went there, and this camper, where she is, is like basically right in the middle of where I grew up. And so every once in a while, you know, as a family, we'd venture away from camp. And I'm sure very much to the delight of my wife and kids, I became like one of those tourist guides. You know, like, on your left, that farm over there, you know, that actually belongs to so-and-so. I don't know if you knew that. And that on your right, you know, that's where my friends and I, this is where we used to go do, like, such and such. And then, hey, kids, straight ahead of us. Yeah, that's where I did whatever it was, like, when I was your age. You know, so I was wearing my 
tour guide hat as I was going through memory lane. At some point, I began to do a little bit of simple math in my head. I'm kind of doing like adding some things up. And I began to realize that, you know, that vent on the right that I did with my, with my friends, that's like, like 25 years ago. <laughs> that thing I did when I was my kid's age that feels like, like yesterday, that was like 30 years ago. And, you know, the old adage that time flies, it, it never became more real to me than at, at that point. And memory lane began to, you know, teach me just how true that old adage is. And so that's, that's story two. So to answer the question from my lovely, uh, loving church, you know, what did I learn when I was away? One, I'm going to die. And two, even if I live a full life, it's going to go by much quicker than I ever anticipated uh, when I was younger. It's like, the, you know, like the slow burn that was my midlife crisis. It was like, like dripping, like be, or gasoline like being dripped on top of it. So now there's a few options for us when it comes to confronting with like death and just the free, uh, fleeting reality of life. Option one, you know, we could like stick our fingers in our ears and we just try to ignore it, which I think is the most common reaction. You know, death, the fleeting reality of life is almost kind of like a dirty little secret in our society, and especially, I think, in, like in the West. Either A, like we don't value age, or B, like or we spend like, you know, like millions and millions of dollars doing things like facelifts, hair coloring, all the other things to try to mask our age. Or B, you know, we try to do all that we can to like blot death out, or we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, trying to make the, the body laying in the coffin, you know, make their lifeless body look like younger and better than they ever looked. Right, just, and then as you look at that, like, we try to think, like, how quickly we can go back to normal life. You know, in the West, like, we just move on from death so quickly. Where other cultures will take more year or months to mourn. You know, for us, like, we just want to ignore it. So that's one option. Just ignore it. Option two, we could get, like, depressed by it. You know, so I think, like, where the midlife crisis comes into play. You know, we realize and accept that one day the bell is going to toll for us. The life will be over before we feel like it's even really begun. And it become, like, depressing. Or we become like very cynical. So it's almost like I think like a lot of the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, the, the writer is almost like battling these emotions. Right? He's just battling this the fleeting reality of life, which I think so, so many try to dull their senses through like drugs, alcohol. So we could ignore it. We could become depressed by it. Or the third option, we could number our days, and we can live for the glory of God. It's actually what Psalm ninety says. It says, "The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. And who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to the, according to the fear of you? And he says this, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, which is what I want us to think through uh, this morning. So life is short. Someday we will die. So we do not want to waste our life. Rather, for the glory of God, we want to spend it wisely. Okay, so this morning, if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to turn to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. This morning, let me read for you verses 10 through 15. So this passage, as long as uh, to go with the Psalm 90 passage I just read for you, these are things that were like right in front of me uh, through much of my sabbatical, but with those connections to those two stories. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting verse 10, I'm reading out of the ESV. So hear the words of our Lord. Paul wrote this, According to the grace given to me, like a skilled builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So that's God's word for us. Let's, let's pray again. Father, we thank you for the Holy Word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who opens up the Holy Word so that we may see you and know you. And God, I pray that this morning that you would bless the preaching of your word for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this morning I actually have a pretty simple two-point sermon for you. I'll give you the points up front. Okay, and then we'll work through them. So first is just don't waste your life. And this is not just like me using the title of a popular John Piper book, which actually is a really good book I'd recommend to you, but this is really at the heart of this text. So first, don't waste your life. And second, just live your life in light of eternity. So focus on the eternal life that is to come. As we work through this passage, let me quickly point out that the author, the Apostle Paul, is actually working off some Old Testament theology here. I think we see this in his reference to the foundation. If you see it in verse 10 of our text, as well as to the gold, silver, precious stones in verse 12 of our text. So if you remember the Old Testament from the time, in the Old Testament from the time of King Solomon, right, this is a place of worship, you know, it was in the temple. And the language of our text is actually very similar to First uh, Chronicles 29, as Solomon was working on the temple. Uh, as mentioned, this is a point of biblical, biblical history where God's presence would dwell there. So we know now, on this side of the cross, we know that Jesus Christ is the true temple, and that his presence now dwells with his people. Uh, but we see that in this passage, Paul is working on some Old Testament theology here. Okay? Also, because I just mentioned, because the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, the true temple is now manifest in us, in the local church. First Peter 2 tells us that. This is significant for us as we consider to number our days. Right? How we are to be living our life in the glory of God. It should be investing our lives in the context of the local church. Okay, this New Testament reality, the temple is also significant to us as we consider personal, corporate holiness. So right in the heels where I stopped reading for you, you see in verse 16, Paul even wrote, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Okay, so there's some significance there from Old Testament uh, theology. So first, first point, don't waste your life. So I already mentioned the intro, life is moving on like quickly much more quickly than we ever would anticipate it. And whether we like it or not, like this life, like we're all headed to the grave. Our life this is, is just a breath. And for the glory of God, for our own good, right? We, we don't want to waste this life. So look back at our text. The author, the Apostle Paul, just mentioned, describes life through, a building, uh, uh, through an analogy of a building. In our text, the assumption verse 11 is that the original readers from this ancient church, had the foundation for their life as Jesus Christ. Right? They were building their life upon who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection. So there's an assumption that you are, you are a Christian, that Christ is your foundation. You are one of his followers. So this text here is the one that teaches us like, how to live out the Christian life or how to pursue the Christian life. 
So this warning, if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear the words of verse 11 of our text. If you want to look back there. This is, a, this is actually a pretty bold verse. It says, in the end, there's only one true foundation in this life. It is only Jesus Christ. In the end of this fleeting life, no other foundation outside of Jesus Christ will be a foundation that will survive. Right? O- only Jesus. He's the only one we can have a true foundation for our life. We must build our life upon him. The song sings, like all else is just nothing more than like sinking sand. Let me mention that in the end of rejecting, if someone rejects, if you reject God's love for you found in Jesus Christ, this will prove to be the ultimate wasted life. Okay, so this morning, if you're not a Christian, I invite you to become one, to turn to Jesus and to build your life upon him, to believe in his death, believe in his resurrection, which forgives us of our wrongdoing, and through Jesus' death and resurrection, this is how we can know God and his his deep love and saves us from the judgments to come. Okay, let me also mention quickly as we work through this passage his assumption that the readers are Christians. The judgment that we see in verses 13 through 15, or, or the fire in our text, this is not a reference to like eternal judgment, or like where heaven and hell are you know, to be had. Rather, this judgment in our context revolves around like the eternal rewards for Christians. Like these are rewards and that are given depending on how well we live out our lives. Okay, so there's there's very much mystery, at least I think there's mystery in the scriptures on what rewards, what treasures, what they will look like. I'll just defer to Mike on this. You know, if you have questions on what these rewards are, I'll let you talk to him. Uh, the scripture does seem clear that at the end, based on how well we live our life, there, there will be an effect on some type of experience in the life that is to come. In fact, the scripture even tells us that we should live our life seeking to live by storing up treasures or rewards in eternal life. Okay? In our text, verse 10. Paul tells us how you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It, it has meaning. It has purpose. It, it actually really matters. Verse 12 of our text. The text tells us that we are not to waste our lives on things that in the end will prove to be nothing more than like wood, hay, straw. The text tells us that in the end these things, they are, they are not going to last. Verse 13, on the day of judgment, everyone's life is disclosed. As believers are held accountable for the breath God has given to them, our text tells us that our work of our life will be put to the fire. This will be a testing fire. Verse 14, if the life's work, if it passes through the fire, we see we'll receive a reward. We'll talk about more in just a bit in the next point. However, in verse 15, if our life's work does not pass through the fire, even though our text tells us our souls will be saved, you know, this is from the eternal judgment. Our life's work will not. And our life will prove to be nothing more than wood, hay, straw, which will be burnt up, nothing but ashes, a wasted life. Which I think serves as a real warning for us this morning. Right? We should be living our lives in light of this judgment that is to come. We should be numbering our days in such a way that we're not wasting them. That for the glory of God, that we're not wasting our life. So I think a natural question then, then what is a wasted life? What does a wasted life look like? What things would fall under the category of like wood, hay, and straw? And to answer that question in part, what I thought we could do this morning is actually quickly run through 1 Corinthians. I'm going to give you four themes I think we see throughout this letter that qualify as like wood, hay, and straw. 
I give you more, but I'll just give you four big ones from 1 Corinthians. These will all qualify as a wasted life. Like if our lives are just like found doing these things, investing our lives in this, this, this is a waste, a wasted life. First, we got four of them. A wasted life is a divisive life. Which from the context of 1 Corinthians seems to actually be a pretty major issue for this church. This, this is actually a big theme throughout this letter. Chapter 1, Paul addressed division in the church. Even imploring the church to have no division among you. The context where I read you in chapter 3, the opening verses said, you know, or once again, Paul addresses this division. He wants no division in the church. And from the context, it seems like it's pretty clear. Like the people in the church are like kind of like one up in each other, trying to like dividing over their favorite church leader. In chapter 6, the vision is so high in this church that Christian believers are actually even taking one another to court. Chapters 11 through 14, the vision is so major that they gather together for like corporate worship. There's this like chaos, uh, disorder. Right? All this like, is like, like, like bubbling out of a heart of pride and bitterness, which has ruined many a churches, which seem to be on the danger of ruining this church in Corinth. Many lives have been completely wasted just through division, dividing. In the end, when we meet our Lord, you know, as our life's work is laid before us, I don't think the Lord's going to be impressed by all the countless ways that where we, like, pridefully, arrogantly divide ourselves from others. Friends, right, we, we do not want to waste our lives being pridefully divisive. Second, don't waste your life by disregarding holiness. This is also a surefire way for your life's work to be burned up. Like God wants, God expects his people to be a holy people. Like he's holy, which I just read for us in, in verse 17 of our text. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Friends, in, in the end, holiness is, it is always, always what is best for us. And not just in the life that is to come, but even the best for us now. Like for personal flourishing, personal joy, holiness. And again, the context of this ancient letter, there seems to be a real struggle here. This church in Corinth seemed to struggle with holiness. Holiness was not how they were trying to build their lives. We just talked about the lack of holiness because of prideful division. Let me just mention one other area where we see a major struggle of holiness this letter. It's actually a lack of concern for like sexual holiness. Chapter 5, there's a case of immorality with a man having relationships with his stepmom, which bad enough, but it seems even worse. In chapter 5, it, didn't, it seemed like even to bother the church. In chapter 6, Paul just simply wrote to flee from sexual immorality, meaning like don't see how like close you can get to the edge without falling in, but, but to flee from it. In chapter 7, it speaks how sexuality should look between a husband and a wife. In chapter 10, Paul reminds the church how the judgment of God fell upon the Old Testament people because of various forms of immorality. But holiness, sexual holiness, is a, is a big deal to Paul in this letter. He, he was concerned that the church was wasting his life, shaming the gospel through the, all these sexual sins. Friends, like, we, we know this. Immorality in all its form, like pornography, lust, this is all, it is a waste. 
this, this will not stand before God. It, it is not going to last. It is a waste. Third, do not waste your life with discontentment, which on different levels I'm guessing all of us probably struggle with. Like we're actually not content with what God has given to us. Or we are not content what he has given to us. And because of that, we can kind of go through this life just like this chip on our shoulder. Or we're just like angry, spoiled little children who have not got the toy that they wanted the store. Or we are just not content, so we just go through life just depressed, filled with like sadness, just wallowing through life with this like deep, woe is me attitude because we are so discontent. Friends, discontentment, it is a waste. A wasted life is one that is like murmuring, grumbling, complaining, just, just being discontent. As mentioned, the assumption of this text is that the reader has Jesus Christ. That the reader has Jesus Christ as his foundation. And friends, let me just ask you. If you have Jesus... Like, like, what else do you need? Like, if, if you have Jesus Christ, you know Jesus Christ, like, please tell me, like, how, how are you and I, how are we lacking? No, I'm not saying it's wrong to have, like, desires, ambitions. But as Christian people, like, we are to be content. Like, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Like, his, his name is still blessed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, Chapter 7, verse, verse 17. It says, Only let each person lead a life that the Lord has assigned to him, into which God has called him. Like, be content with the life God has given to you. Don't waste your life trying to be what you're not. Don't waste your life being disappointed by the life God has placed before you. This is actually a real part of our holiness as well. I think you can even argue that all the various sins that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians, like discontentment, is like somewhere in the mix. Don't waste your life being discontent. Fourth, don't waste your life by disregarding others. So wasted life? This is a life that is just like so full of ourselves. A wasted life is one that is like obsessed how others are treating you or, or not treating you. A wasted life is one that is so focused on you, your agenda, your preferences, that you end up having like little to no concern for others. Rather than like pouring out your life for the glory of God, you're just so concerned that people are not pouring enough into you. This is this is a waste. See this number of places in First Corinthians, in chapter eight. There's a lack of regard for others and their conscience, their convictions. There's a lack of regard of how what others might think of the food they ate or the, or, uh, the drinks that they drank, which would have been a big deal in that society. You know, there might be this phase like, well. I'm going to eat this, or I'm going to drink this, and I don't care what others think. They can just deal with it. I'm not concerned about them. That's their problem. It's not my problem. In chapter 9, there seemed like this ancient church had like their thumb, the Apostle Paul. Like, no matter what Paul did or didn't do, like, they would just, like, judge him. They completely disregarded him and his role as an apostle. In chapter 12 and 14, there's just such a lack of concern how they practice spiritual gifts. It's like rather caring for others with their gifts, serving the body of Christ with their gifts, 
Right? They're using their gifts like to boast in self, trying to put others down. Friends, this is all wood, hay, straw. There's things that rob us of joy in this life. These are things that will not last the test of fire in the life that is to come. I was listening to a podcast somewhat recently of a guy named Russell Moore. Some of you may be familiar with him. And all the things I kind of talked about in my four subpoints here, he simply said, like, they, they have no future. They will be burned up. Right? They will be a waste. Let's say it again, friends. We do not want to waste our life on things like this. Rather, we want to follow the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. And whatever we do, whether eating, drinking, whatever it may be, we want to do it all for the glory of God. Which leads to the second point. Live your life for eternity. This is also what our point is text, or our text is pointing us to. To live your life in such a way you're actively considering the life that is to come. Which not only has joyful implications in the next life, but actually has joyful implications in this life. When we live for the life that is to come, there is more joy in this life. Right, friends, we know there is no one who has a greater desire for you and I to have joy in this life more than God himself. God is not like this cosmic killjoy. He is not like this grumpy old man yelling at you to get off his lawn. God's desire for his children, his people, is to have like deep, deep, lasting joy. Not just in the life to come, but even in this present life as well. So point one, these were warnings, things to avoid, things not to do, not to waste our lives investing in them. So in the second point, these are going to be more exhortations for us. To set the aim of our life doing these things. These are things that we want to fill as we're filling out the equation to number our days. This is how it is to be in verse 10, to be a, a skilled master builder. This is how to live a life in verse 14, to receive an eternal reward. Okay, so as I did in the previous point, let me just run through 1 Corinthians again. I'm just going to be four here as well, four other subpoints. And as we go through this, let me just be, step back and just be clear. So yes, there, there is joy in living these things out for the glory of God. Yes, God does have desires for you to have joy in him in this life as well as the next. Yes, God works all things together for the good of his people. These are, these are all true, completely true. However, if we live these things out, it doesn't mean that things are always going to be easy for us in this life. If we live for the glory of God and for the eternal reward that awaits in the next life, it's not always going to be easy. My kids have a, a song they'd like to listen to. It's kind of a fun song from the 60s. And the lyrics go something like this. Like, it says, like, sunshine, lollipops, rainbows. Everything is wonderful. That is what I feel. So that's, that's actually not going to be the reality if we live these things out in this life. Okay. It's not all going to be sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. It can actually be suffering if we live these out. Joy, yes, but, but suffering could also be uh, tied to this. Okay, so here's four ways for us to live out our life in light of eternity I'm going to label these as living your life to the fullest. These are four things that I think will produce gold, silver, and precious stone of your life that will stand the test of fire. This is, this is not going to be an exhaustive list either. As we work through these, I want you to see that these are actually just like living a faithful Christian life. Just being a normal, faithful Christian. Okay, so first, a full life. One that will last is one that is built on the wisdom of the cross. Which is why as believers, why we go 
time and time again back to what Jesus Christ accomplished in his death and resurrection. We, we go back to that. We just sung a song of the gospel and we sing these things. We go back to the same truth. Chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians. The wisdom of God is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. So this is not only the starting point where we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, but as a wise builder builds his life, so we continue to build upon this. We build our lives upon this truth. Chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. It is power for those who have placed their faith in him. And this is, this is a very real discipline we are to work on, to preach the message of Jesus Christ, his work in the cross and resurrection, to preach this to ourselves time and time again. And just for a moment, let's just think back to all the sub-points I gave you in the previous point. And I'll just try to think in light of the cross, or see those things in light of the cross. So just think, like, how could we ever be divisive with each other when we preach the cross to ourselves? Right? As, as we preach the cross to ourselves, do we not remember the division between like, us and God has been reconciled with Jesus Christ, and the division between us as mankind has been reconciled? Right? As we preach the cross to ourselves, as we embrace the cross, right, we're embracing peace, n- not division. Or how could we not set our hearts to holiness when we preach the cross to ourselves? Right? As we preach the cross, we remember that Jesus Christ, he died for sin. Right? How could we not now set our life for holiness? As we preach the cross and resurrection to ourselves, we not remember that now the power of sin, it, it has been broken. As we preach the message of the cross to ourselves, does not the cross, does it not compel our hearts to be obedient in all areas of our life? Right? Whatever, whatever God tells us to do, right? do, do we not now want to do it? Or think, like, how can we be discontent when we preach the cross to ourselves? Right? We remember, as we preach the cross to us, that all of God's love is now fully set on us who believe in him for, forever. And nothing, friends, nothing can separate us from that love. Friends, when we preach the cross for ourselves, when we see God's love for us through Jesus Christ, I say it again, like, like what else do we need? Like, how can we be discontent? Like, where, where exactly are we lacking? When we preach the cross for ourselves, how can we not now set our hearts to love on each other? When we preach the cross for ourselves, we remember that as while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can we not now want to love other sinners? As we see what Christ has done for us and the value he has for us, how can we not now turn around and like disregard, or how can we like turn around and disregard others? Especially those in the church who we know Christ has died for. As we preach across ourselves, we see that Jesus Christ, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve, right? As he gave his life as a ransom for many. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. It just simply says, For I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. May that be true of us as well. Build our lives upon the cross, the teaching of the cross. Build your life on Jesus and settle for nothing less. Second, a full life. And this, a full life is one that is a life that is actually a fool for Christ. Let's go back to, again, go back to Psalm 90. Simply says, to number our days that we may not, or that we may have a heart of wisdom. And friends, having a heart of wisdom often looks like foolishness to an outside world. 
And just think of the Apostle Paul as he's set to build his life on gold, silver, precious stone. He was labeled and viewed by the world as foolish. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us he was a spectacle. Uh, He was reviled, he was persecuted, he was slandered. Text tells us as the outside world looked at him that he was like scum to them, you know, a fool. But even just think about our Lord. Right? He was labeled as a fool for what he did as he went to the cross. First Corinthians 1.18, where the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Friends, if you live your life to the fullest, you live it in light of eternity, it could very well cause you to be labeled as a fool. It could cause you to lose your job. Living for Jesus in this life could prevent you from getting that promotion. Living for Jesus in this life could give you less than pleasant labels. In many parts of the world, living for Jesus could cause like real physical beating, like even loss of life. Friends, this morning, as we take an eternal view of our life, if that all happens, even if death happens, we know it would not be wasted. Being a fool for Christ in this life is not a wasted life. This is how a life is well spent. And as our eternity, as eternity comes, as our life is laid before us, you know, this label of fool that we may have for living for Jesus in this life, falling hard after Jesus in this life, this will only be replaced by the label of being faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. And so you think even the dividing line between the material that you and I choose to build our life with, I think it's actually is found here. You know, can I ask you, is Christ, the reward of Christ, is it worth being labeled as a fool over? Third, a full life. A life that has a view of eternity is a life that seeks to love others. This is the remedy for division. This is the healing balm for division, that we love one another. We love each other by using our gifts. We don't, we don't hoard our gifts, we don't hoard our abilities, but we use our gifts, we use our abilities to love on people for the glory of God. We, we even love people that would be much easier for us not to love. We even love people when it would be so much easier and natural to divide. We love to stay bound together. 1 Corinthians 13. This is a famous passage that we often hear at weddings, which, which is a fine passage for a wedding. However, as you know, the context of that passage is actually the relationships within the church. And a few years back, I was actually preparing to, to preach on this uh, preached on chapter 13 in my church, and what jumped out to me was for like that love to be present in that text that almost was like a necessity for like a difficult or a hard situation to also be present. Okay, let me just read through you that text. And as I do this, just think of like some relationship that you have that is just like just very hard or very difficult. Or maybe think about things that may arise in church life that could just it'd be so much easier just to like sinfully divide over. Okay, so as you get these things in your mind, I now see these things as opportunities for you to show this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13. So I'm, I'm going to read through this slowly. I know you're familiar with this. I'm going to read through this slowly. Anyhow. So love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices it with the truth. Love bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And here's a key. Love never ends. Friends, we, we all know that there's times it's hard to be around people, even, even in church life. There's going to be people that get under your skin, that will get on your nerves. There will be people that make poor decisions that could hurt you. And without minimizing the hurt, minimizing the pain, minimizing the difficulty, friends, you need to see these as great opportunities for you to show love. These are great opportunities to live a full life to work with gold, silver, and precious stone by loving people. In fact, I'm sure that love, this will be like the common element found in everything that we do that survives the test of fire. Live your life loving God, loving others. Number your days intentionally, pursuing opportunities for you to love. Or finally, live a full life a life that's looking towards eternity by just, by just being generous. And so much of our life is wasted pursuing earthly treasures that, that we know one day will end up in the trash. You know, don't believe me. Just like take a, take a family road trip out to the dump. And all these things, these are just being burnt up in the trash. They will not last. As we, we know there's so much liberty in this life using the money God has entrusted to us to love on people, to try to advance the kingdom. The, the happiest people are generous people. This is actually where the full life is found. This is so freeing. We see this a bit of the generosity in 1 Corinthians. We see more of it in 2 Corinthians. And then Paul is spending a lot of time trying to help this church to be generous. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul came to church to collect an offering to bless others who are in need. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul encouraged the church to live a generous life. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul once again collected money from the church to bless others. As Paul even reminded the church that God loves a cheerful giver. And friends, be, be generous. Bless others what God has blessed you with. Number your days. Spend your life by just being generous. Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy, where thieves will not break in and steal. Treasures that will not be just a pile of ashes in the end. I could say a lot more here, but for the sake of time, just let me start to conclude. You know, so did I expect to spend much of my sabbatical considering the fleeting reality of life and the certainty of my death? No. Right? Clearly, that was not on the agenda. However, I'm glad it came up. There's things we need to be thinking about. And we don't want to ignore these realities. We don't want to be depressed by these realities. Rather, for the glory of God, we want to live a full life, building our life's work on things that will last eternally. Let me close this morning. Just to remind you these truths. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. That Jesus Christ, he died according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And friends, because that we have so much hope in this life. Because our Lord died and rose again, we can live our life in such a way that we're not wasting it. Friends, this morning, live your life to the fullest. Knowing that through Jesus, death, it is swallowed up in victory. Friends, this morning, may we collectively 
number our days by crying out, O oh, death, you know, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? We serve a risen Savior. May we number our days by giving thanks to our God that through the Lord Jesus Christ there, there is victory. Friends, an eternal victory. Let's pray. So we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through him we have life and we have hope and we have purpose. God, I pray that this morning that you would help us to believe. God, please forgive us for wasting our lives wherever we may have wasted them. God, please encourage us to live our life to the fullest in light of who Jesus is, in light of the eternal reward that awaits. It's in his name we pray. Amen.